This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. New content will be available every week throughout 2016. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Ephesians chapter 6, reading from verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, and against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. What do you see when you look at this military imagery that Paul is conjuring up for us here in Ephesians 6? If you're like me, you probably will see a soldier dressed for battle, one who is invincible, unconquerable, proudly standing with his sword in hand. And after the dust and the heat of the battle has settled, there he stands with his helmet on, with his waist still girded, with his breastplate gleaming, with his feet shod with those special sandals. If that's what you see, good, because that's true. But if that's all that we see, then perhaps we've missed something. We've missed the reason for the battle. What is this battle? Well, Paul makes it very, very clear that it's a spiritual battle. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. It's spiritual. It's something that happens beyond our sight. It's not him, it's not her, it's not them. It's a spiritual battle. Paul makes that clear enough. But the trouble is, spiritual battles are very, very subtle. We don't always recognize them easily or quickly. They come camouflaged. A sniper in warfare will always camouflage himself because he wants to get as close to his target as possible without being seen so that he can hit his target and then get out of there. So therefore, he will camouflage himself. And the devil is no different. Most times he will come in disguise, in camouflage, and try to get as close as he can before he hits and leaves us hurt. 
If it was simply flesh and blood, it would be easy to recognize. We could do that quickly. It would be obvious. It would be identifiable. But when it's spiritual, it affects our mind, our emotions, our thoughts, our feelings, our actions, and our attitudes. And that's what makes it a much more deadly foe, does it not? And that is what we're against every day of our lives. Some days more than others, some days we hardly even sense it. Other days we're under that attack that comes from the evil one. And Paul here singles out a particular piece of spiritual armor. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Now, Paul never denied any of his struggles. He didn't expect immunity from the stresses and the struggles and the strains of this life. As far as we know, there was only one time when he, in a sense, complained and went before the Lord and wanted it taken away out of his life. And even that, the thorn in the flesh, even that was denied him. In fact, he even listed the struggles and the battles in life that he went through. Not for sympathy, but to show us that whenever we face similar struggles and battles of life, that we can come through them and that we will conquer and that we will be victorious. You see, the enemy wants to tell you that your present battle is unwinnable, that you cannot win in this battle that you'll just have to live with it. Well, with Paul, that was the exception rather than the rule. And he does list much of the stuff that he went through, and he does talk about his thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan sent to buffet me. And it seemed to be everywhere he went, that messenger Satan was there to attack him and buffet him. He talked about his sufferings in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And we may want to have a little look at that. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Breaking in here at verse uh, 23, halfway down, verse 23. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. From the Jews five times I received 40 stripes minus one, 195 lashes on his back, three times beaten with rods. His back must have been scarred from top to bottom with all of the beatings that he took for his service in Christ. Then he talks, said he, I was stoned three times. I, I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I spent in the deep 
and journeys often in perils of water and perils of robbers and perils of my own countrymen and perils of the Gentiles and perils in the city and perils in the wilderness and perils in the sea and perils among false brethren and weariness and toil and sleeplessness often and hunger and thirst and fastings often and cold and nakedness and besides the other things what comes upon me daily my deep concern for all of the churches. And on top of all of that, he had his disappointments in ministry. Boy, I've had some of those in 36 years, let me tell you. But I'm not going to tell you. But Paul had his disappointments. Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. At my first defense, he said, no man stood with me. Nevertheless, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. His well-documented problems with the Corinthian church, whom he loved dearly. <clears throat> what a church. What a headache. Somebody said it would give an aspirin a headache. They fought over everything, taking each other to court. Some of them were getting drunk at communion. Can you imagine that? had their favorite preachers that they argued about and fell out over. Some were involved in terrible, terrible immorality. The gifts became something uh, that was a showcase, that became a thing of pride. Uh, then it became a thing that was fought over and disused and abused. These were the things that put care upon him. The church at, at Galatia. <laughs> there, I mean, there's another church in, in Galatians chapter 1. Verse 6, I marvel, he said. I'm, I'm absolutely amazed. I, I can hardly get my head around it. That's what he's saying. I marvel that you're turning away so soon from him who called you into the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another. But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you, what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. And then in chapter 3, verse 1, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, you're now being made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain. And in chapter 4, in verse 8, but then, indeed, when you did not know God, you served those by which nature are not God's. But now after you have known God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid for you, lest I have labored for you in vain, and so forth. So we might ask, 
since Paul has enumerated all of those problems and struggles and stresses and strains and battles of life, so we might ask, where was his shield of faith? Was it not working? Had he laid it down? Certainly it was not preventing these disappointments and struggles from taking place in his life, and fairly regularly at that, as we can see. No, you see, his faith, and we're talking about our shield of faith, his faith was not to prevent these things. His faith was to protect him against the long-lasting damaging effects. You will never stop the enemy from throwing those fiery darts. That's his job, that's his business, and he's an expert at it. But God has not left us defenseless. He's given us something to counteract, to stand against. Everything the enemy throws at you, those fiery darts are designed to affect your Christian walk. They're designed to affect your relationship with Christ, your dealings with others around you, your peace of mind, your gladness of heart, your testimony. And how we react, how we respond to trouble will be the deciding factor in whether we have victory or whether we have defeat. Our faith is the key. And God has given to every one of us the measure of faith. So we are not defenseless. God hasn't left us without any way to overcome. Let me explain what happens when we wear our faith as a shield. Have you ever been offended or hurt by something somebody said or did against you? How did you feel? Angry? Sore? Saddened? Shattered? There's not a one of us here tonight, not one of us, that has not felt those things. There's not a one of us that has not been offended. There's not a one of us hasn't given offense because we're human. But what happens when that happens? Your shield of faith did not prevent it, but your shield of faith can protect you from the damaging effects of it. Now, not all criticism is bad. Sometimes it's for our own good. Sometimes it helps us. But if it's a fiery dart from the evil one, then your faith can say, Lord, I trust you. Lord, I'm depending upon you. Lord, help me not to become bitter and resentful. Help me, Lord, that a root of bitterness does not spring up from within, as Hebrew tells talk about, and thereby defile me. Because that can so easily, easily happen to us. And that's what your faith will guard against, your trust in the Lord, your belief in him that he will bring you through, that you will overcome through him. That's your shield of faith. Have you ever been disappointed? Someone has badly let you down. A relationship failed. Your best friend perhaps became your worst enemy. That happened to David. Ahithophel was David's best friend. He was his go-to person when he needed advice, when he needed encouraged, 
when he had complex issues, Ahithophel was his confidant. But Ahithophel turned against him. Ahithophel actually became his worst enemy for a long time. In Psalm 56, he writes about it. In verse 12 of Psalm 56, For it was not an enemy who reproached me, then I could bear it. Nor is it one who hates me, who has exalted himself against me, then I could hide from him. But it was you, a man my equal, my companion and my acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together and walked to the house of the Lord in the throng. And further down in 21 he writes, The words of his mouth were smoother than butter, but war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, but they were drawn swords. So what do you do when something turns really sour? How do you handle that when perhaps your best friend becomes your worst enemy? Well, you feel rejected, you feel forsaken, you feel discarded, and you might be tempted to pull up the drawbridge, pull down the shutters, and say, I will never trust anybody ever again. I will never allow myself to get close to anybody again because I do not want to be hurt ever again. That's a very natural response, but it's the wrong response. Because somebody said, if you put a fence around yourself, you fence out more than you're fencing in. And this is where our shield of faith comes in. That fiery dart is designed to do just that, to burn into your very heart to get you to the place where you do not trust anymore. But thank God for faith. Thank God for that thing that God has put into your heart that will stand against this. Faith will quench the fiery dart. It won't stop it coming, but it will quench it when it comes if we use it. Even if my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will take me up. <laughs> I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Paul felt the desertion of friends. Joseph felt the rejection of his brethren. David felt the betrayal of his confidant. Moses felt the disappointment of his people. He wanted to stone him. Jesus had his Judas. All of them had those fiery darts to come against him. But all of them had faith that endured that overcame, that gave them the victory. So what are you going through tonight? What are you facing? It may be something that is obvious to you. You could pinpoint it. You could tell me what it is. Or it may not be. Maybe you're not sure what it is. But there's this feeling and maybe you feel oppressed or even depressed and, and you don't even know why. Maybe the enemy has come against your very soul or against your mind and even against your very body. It's time to put up the shield of faith. God has given us the ability with faith to overcome and to battle and to that to be quenched in our life.
Sometimes we want a shield of faith against, against failure. Nobody really wants to fail. Sure we don't. We don't like it. We don't want it. We're not asking for it. But the reality is we do fail. And the truth is, failure happens. The prophet writing in Habakkuk, the last chapter, the last few verses says, Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation." He's going to use his faith, his trust in God in spite of the circumstances are against him. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet. He will make me to walk on my high hills. Even if we have faced failure, even if things hasn't worked out quite the way we had planned, we can put up our shield of faith and say, God, I'm still going on. I am not quitting. I am not giving up because you're on my side and I will win through and I will overcome this. That's what your faith is for. Sometimes we would love a shield of faith against personal loss. A child dies. A partner is taken. A parent departs. Bereavement is tough, particularly if it's somebody that you truly love, somebody that you felt especially close to, then it's really, really tough. Steve Curtis Chapman, tremendous singer-songwriter, has won umpteen Grammy and Dove Awards, has has over 20 albums, sold 10 million albums worldwide. <coughs> In May 2008, one of the things that he's a great advocate of is adoption. And he, he started up a home in China, uh, adopting for children to come in and they fed them and clothed them and then try to get them adopted, particularly to the US, especially to Christian families. Very successful doing that. Put a lot of money and effort into it. Him and his wife has six children. Three are biological. Three are adopted. And so he talked to talk and walked to walk. And one of them was a little Chinese girl they called Maria. Maria. She was about six, six years old, I think it was. And in May nine, nine, 2008... His oldest boy was coming home from a, a, a musical recital or something. And he was backing up the path. And she saw him, big brother. But he didn't see her. And he ran into her and killed her. Ambulance came, tried to resuscitate. Time she got to the hospital, dead on arrival. You can't even begin to imagine the pain and the hurt and the trauma that their family must have went through at that time. It was horrific, 
dreadful. Then there had to be an investigation. In the end, it came out purely as an accident. But they had to go through all of that stuff uh, and, and bury that little child that they loved and had adopted that was precious to them. And he said, you know, when that happened, he just felt like just never singing again. He just felt he just couldn't do it. But he didn't give up. And he did go on. In November 2009, he produced an album called Beauty Will Rise. Some of you may have that. I have it. And all of the songs is based on going through that experience. And it's very poignant, very moving. There's one particular track called C, S-E-C. You get it on iTunes, you can find that but you need to know the story behind it. And in his album, he tells the story behind every song, why he wrote it, what it meant to them as a family. And, it, and it's exceptional because it's dealing with a real subject, his pain, his hurt, and all that, and how he and his wife and family got through that because they had faith. Their faith got them through that. And he's still going on today, and he's still writing, he's still singing, he's still producing. His latest album was a winner as far as that scene is concerned. This past week, we have been looking at the news, local news, and we have seen the Cardi family. Who could not be impressed by the Cardi family? You remember, was it last year, that terrible court case with the after 30 years, they caught the murder of their child, their nine-year-old little daughter, Jennifer. And how every day they had to go to the court and listen to all of that and hear the details. It was heart-wrenching. It was awful. And, and then you know that the murderer died in prison just last week and without releasing any more information, they reckon he killed more, but... They'll never find out now. But the thing that struck the media in all of that last year, and particularly just recently in this happening, and the media even said it was their faith that got them through. Their faith shone in the midst of the horror of that. Somehow or other, in spite of their pain, their son said, he said, to think what happened to my sister, he says, would drive you insane. But he says, God was with us. And our faith helped us and got us through. That's your shield of faith. It doesn't stop the fiery darts. But it can help us that that damage that that's intended to do will kill us and destroy us Spiritually. But it didn't for the Cardi family. They're still going on. And even the press was impressed how they handled it and the words that they spoke. They even prayed for the man's repentance that he would come to faith in Christ and reveal what he had done to others so that others could get closure. Although he never did. Sometimes we'd like a shield against personal loss that nothing would ever happen. But stuff does happen. It's a fallen world. But God has given us faith to handle it when it does happen. Sometimes we need 
a shield against our successes. We don't always handle success well. If we're not careful, it can lead to pride. It can lead to self-dependency. can make us think, if we're not careful, that I did this. My ability, my wisdom, my effort, my energy. And forget that God gave us the strength, gave us the wisdom, gave us the energy. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, you remember King Saul? Remember how one day he was... Uh, he was out looking for his father's asses when he was Saul. And the Samuel prophet, sorry, 1 Kings 11, should I say. The Samuel prophet, uh, he found him. And having found him, he uh, told him that he was going to be king. Sorry, I'm on to Solomon there. My next, my next one I'm going to. Got to end myself. I haven't found him. He told him he's going to be king. And he was amazed. Who wouldn't be? Samuel said, you'll be king. God has anointed you king. And so he, he anointed him. He blessed him. But then came the day of the coronation. And the day of the coronation, Samuel went looking for him. Now was the time to take up the kingship. He ran and he hid among the stuff. He didn't feel adequate enough. Now the Bible says that he was head and shoulders above all the men of Israel. I mean, he looked every part regal and kingly. But when it came and push came to shove at that particular day, he ran and he hid because he did not feel he was up to the task. And in a way, that was good. That was to be commended because at least now he's going to have to trust God. And so he became king. But after he had become king, he then began to be very arrogant and harsh and treated his subjects arrogantly and harshly and, and put taxes on them and did all kinds of stuff. And it just got to the stage where he, he just was a thoroughly bad king. Thoroughly bad. And then Samuel, in 1 Samuel chapter 15... Samuel had told him that King Agag and the Amalekites, that he was to destroy them. All of them. Wipe them all out because of how they treated Israel in the past. And so he set out to do that. But he spared Agag the king. And he saved the best of the cattle and the sheep, and the goats, and so forth. He is supposed to destroy everything. And God spoke 
to Samuel. In verse 10 of 1 Kings 15, Now the word of the Lord came to Samuel, saying, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king, for he has turned back from following me, and has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried out all to the Lord all night. So when Samuel rose early in the morning again to meet Saul, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul went to Carmel, and indeed he has set up a monument for himself. And he has gone on around and passed by and gone down to Gilgal. Then Samuel went to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. But Samuel said, What then is this bleating of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the cattle of the oxen which I hear? And Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, to the re and the rest we have utterly destroyed. He knew he was wrong here, but he's trying to put a spiritual spin on it. Then Samuel said to Saul, Be quiet, and I will tell you what the Lord said to me. He said, Speak on. So Samuel said, When you were little in your own eyes, were you not the head of the tribes of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? Now the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are completely consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down in the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? And if you read on, he tried to justify himself. And Samuel said, The Lord has taken the kingdom away from you. You're finished. It's over. But when you were little in your own eyes, <laughs> that's when you were made king over Israel. But you see, when he had success and he became king, he didn't use that faith, that trust in the Lord and his belief in the Lord. And he kept turning away from the Lord to the place where he was so disobedient that God had to remove him from the kingship. Sometimes we need that shield of faith in our successes. In 1 Kings 3 and 1 Kings 11, you don't need to turn to it. God made Solomon king. And he came to him and said, what do you want me to do for you? Solomon looked at his father David, the great king. He obviously didn't feel he was like him. And he said, I need wisdom. I'm like a little child, he says, 1 Kings 3. I don't know how to come in and out. How can, how can I lead such a people? In other words, how can I fill those big boots and the Lord was pleased with that response. The Lord says, because you neither ask for gold or silver or to win over your, even, your enemies, he says, I'll make you the wisest man that ever lived and I will give you gold and I will give you silver and you'll win over your enemies. It so pleased the Lord that he wanted wisdom from God to deal with these people. What a way to start. Couldn't have started any better than that. 
But then, and he became king. And he started out well, but then he made a tragic mistake. He began to marry pagan women around the nations. A lot of it was to do for economy reasons, political reasons, princesses, daughters of other kings. And he couldn't stop. And he accumulated wives, 700 of them, and 300 concubines, a thousand women. Can you imagine that? No, I'm not going to say any circuit remarks. Now I know you're waiting for it, but I'm not going to say it. Wife sitting in the front row, I want to get fed tonight when I go home. <laughs> and if you read chapter 11, you'll see, because God warned him, do not do this, because you will start following their gods. That's exactly what he did. And if you read the list of the gods that he started to worship, unbelievable. <coughs> gods that people were sacrificing their own children to. And here is this man of God. And he's worshiping these gods. He didn't end well. God had given him faith. All he had to do was trust God, live for God. Used the faith that God had given him, but instead he turned away and he did his own thing. What a tragedy. Even Moses, the meekest man that ever lived, even he at one point lost his temper. The people were crying out in Numbers 20. They were crying out for water. You brought us out in this desert to kill us all. We should have stayed in Egypt. At least we'd have fed there. We have nothing here. Look at it. <coughs> And Moses and Aaron went to the tent of meeting and met with the Lord. The Lord says, take your rod. Go out to the rock. Speak to the rock. And water will come out. Enough water, by the way, for about two to three million people. It wasn't a wee trickle coming out of the rock. But if you read the story, you know what he did? He got that stuff and he went out and he says, Here now, you rebels. Must we fetch water from this rock? Well, he couldn't have fetched any water from any rock. It was God was going to do it. And then he took the staff and he struck the rock twice. He's only supposed to speak to it once. He struck the rock twice. But God, in his grace towards the people, murmurs and plainers as there were, the water f flowed out. And they got all the water they needed. But Moses did not get walking into the promised land. Sometimes we need our shield of faith as much in the good times as in the bad times. Whenever everything is going well and we seem to be succeeding, we need our shield of faith as much then as when things are coming against us to keep us balanced, to keep us right. God has given each of us the measure of faith for this life for everything and anything that comes against us. We have it. It's available. It's there. The trick is to use it. And sometimes that's where I feel and that's where you feel. 
because we don't use what God has given us. But it's there. It's part of the spiritual armor that God has given to us. And it's wonderful. And it will help us to overcome, to endure, to win through, to conquer, to go on against the odds. And sometimes it is against the odds. But when God's with you, one with God is majority, isn't it? So use your faith that God has given you in your present struggle and battle. You are using it, I'm sure. Continue to use it until you win through to all of those fiery darts fall at your feet and are quenched by your faith in God, in trusting the Lord. Your faith is not in you. Your faith is not in faith. Your faith is in him and what he will do and how he will bring you through. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we know that none of us has arrived. None of us are experts. None of us know everything. And that's why we constantly need to depend upon you. But we thank you for that faith that you have given to each of us. Lord, it can do so much. It can break down every attack of the evil one. And we give you thanks for it tonight. So, Lord, you haven't left us destitute. You haven't left us, Lord, defenseless. You've given us the right things to do and to use that we may win the battles of this life and overcome in Jesus' name. So we thank you for this. We bless you for your word that enlightens us and enlivens us and gives us strength to do what only you can do. We thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information, www.mpc.org.uk.